0: Alright, Victory family. I don't know if y'all ready. I don't know if y'all ready. Hey, real quick, let's welcome our Hamilton Mill family, our Midtown family, all of our family online. We got some of the family from Philippines, South Africa, and India joining us today. What's up, everybody? What's up? Um, Hey, excited is an absolute understatement about how I feel today. All right, because I've been holding on to this message and these messages, the series, like for months and months and months and months and months and months and months, and now I finally get to get it out. So it's almost like a volcano. So you just got to forgive me, all right? He's just been held in for a while, and you're about to get all of it because what God began to share with me months and months and months ago was the vision of what we're about to be about, not just. For a few weeks or a few months, but in this entire next season, maybe even stretching into years, because the truths that we're talking about today outlive a series. Come on, outlive a sermon. You ever listen to a sermon? And you're like, all right, I'll leave that one on Sunday. No, these truths permeate and change life and direction and ministry and the world that you find yourself in. So whether or not, listen, whether or not you're here for the first time, whether or not you're, you've been a member for years, or you're in the building, or you're joining us, from Atlanta to LA, um, man, you just God has a word for you. Come on, somebody, just say, God has a word for me. God's gonna speak today, all right? So now I want you to listen really carefully because I'm gonna ask you a question and I need you to be able to answer it by the time that we're done, okay? I need you to be able to answer the question I'm going to ask you at the end of the message. So you gotta have really, really good ears to hear what we're saying. So this past August... All right, Summer and I, we, uh, we went on a um, retreat in advance, you would say that, to, to the mountains of North Georgia with our uh, senior executive team, and the seven of us got away to really just talk about and pursue God and what he has for this next year. And the night before we left, I was praying, and I was laying in bed, and uh, before I drifted off to sleep, I, I just prayed that simple prayer, Say, God, is there anything you want to say to me before we go on this advance? And clear as day, God spoke. And he told me two words. And I knew it was God speaking because these were two words that I don't normally use. I mean, if I, if you know how it is, sometimes you're like, was that me? Right, was that me saying that? Was that, was that the pizza I ate? Like, what is that the enemy? What, you know? Listen, if, the, if, if I was speaking to myself, I would have used different words. And I know this was God because these are two words that I don't use. And when God spoke these two words, it was like my heart leapt because I knew that God had just walked into the room. I was like Moses. I was like in this burning bush, holy ground sort of moment when God spoke these two words. And the two words that God spoke We're emancipating greatness, emancipating greatness, emancipating greatness. Say it with me, emancipating greatness. Come on again, emancipating greatness, emancipating greatness. And when I heard those words, it was like the weight of those words like washed on me and I was like, oh God, what? What, what does that mean? What, what are you saying? I'm like going to the dictionary. Like what, what are you saying? What are you speaking, God? And so the, the next day when we went on our advance and we found ourselves in the living room, I, I shared those two words with, with the team here. And they almost immediately, they all just kind of sat back in their seat and they said, that's God. God. That's God, and as we started to unpack the weight of those words and what God was saying through those words, the, our discussion began aligning with what the Holy Spirit had already been speaking to me over the last like 18 months and began forming what we're talking about today and moving into this next season. Now, let me just say this. Those two words, emancipating greatness, are the two words that are gonna define and give direction and heart to where this victory family is going as we begin to move forward. So I am so excited about what God is about to do here in our midst. I don't know if you're excited, but let's begin to walk through this thing together, okay? So if you rewind all the way back, all right, like like page one, rewind all the way back, God says, let there be, yes. You've at least read the first sentence of the Bible. That's awesome. And then he says what? He says, it's good. It's good, right? And then he creates planets and sky and he says, it's good. Then he creates plants and water and animals and fish and he says, it's good. And then we find the most stunning words ever printed or uttered in human language. He says this, Genesis 1, 27. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Listen to me today, the Milky Way galaxy is not made in the image of God. The most beautiful sunset is not made in the image of God. The most beautiful flowers are not made in the image of God. The animals that roam on the plain are not made in the image of God. Only one thing in all of existence has been given the dignity and the honor and the privilege to be made in the image of God. And that is humanity. Humanity made in God's image and so with master sculptor hands that put Michelangelo to shame god took dirt and he formed it into a man in fact in the hebrew uh, dirt is adamah and human is adam so out of adamah god forms adam out of the earth god forms man and he sculpts it and into the the, the nostrils the god is Custom form with his own hand. God breathes the, the breath of life, the pneuma of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God courses through the lungs, then the veins of that custom made person, and then the eyes of Adam open up. And Adam stands to his feet, this amazing, unique, privileged, dignified piece of dirt. And he is unlike anything else in all of creation because God has put his thumbprint on him and he stands to his feet and he's made in his image. And then out of Adam, God draws Eve. And she is unlike anything else in all creation too. She's like Adam, but unlike Adam because in her own unique way, she's like the father. They're made in God's image, the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God has been placed on them like a thumbprint. They are not gods, but they are made in God's image. They are not deity, but they do have dignity. Come on, somebody. (laughs) God put his nobility. God put his character on them. God put his giftings and reflections of his beauty in them. God put his unique gifts and talents and abilities and personality and dream in them. And those gifts and talents and abilities and personalities and dreams, they aren't innate to Adam and Eve. They are gifted. They are given. They are placed. They are imparted. They, every single thing that they're good at is a different turn of the beauty of the diamond of God in their life. It's a different aspect. Every pure dream they have has been placed by a good creator. Every personality trait has been gifted. Every burning passion that they have to climb the next mountain and to accomplish something amazing for God in this life has been placed by their, that burning heart that they have is, is borrowed from the bonfire of God. Every good thing they had, the heart of a father is placed there by Adam. The heart of a mother is placed there by God. God gifts. God gives. Their heart for righteousness, their heart for justice, their heart for adventure, their heart for love is given by God. It's his image that's been placed on them. His own unique, wondrous, glorious image placed on his creation. The psalmist says this, Psalm 139. He said, you formed my innermost being, You shape my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and you wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Do you believe that today? I don't know if you believe that today. God wants to awaken that inside you today. Everything you do, God, is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I had ever even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious, how wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires towards me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. And just like Adam and Eve, every single person who's ever breathed the breath of life was made in the image of God by a God who does not create duplicates. Come on, Hamilton Mill. Come on, Midtown. Come on. You need to say, I am not a duplicate. He beautifully formed. He wonderfully created. He skillfully gifted. He passionately imparted. He gracefully called every single one of us to his image. He put his image in us fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fear, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of a beautiful, amazing God. And humans have a connection back to, back to the Father that, that nothing else in all of creation shares. It's beautiful. You know, it, God, God speaks to Noah, and he says this, Genesis 9, 6, he says, whoever sheds human blood, again, it's just, just get into the Hebrew with me for a second, human there is Adam, whoever sheds Adam's blood. Listen, the double-edged sword is we all share Adam's blood. (laughs) There's a beauty and there's a terror that comes with Adam's blood. Whoever sheds human blood by human shall their blood be shed for in the image of God has God made mankind. And what God is saying is there's this mysterious connection between us and the father. And what he's almost saying is this, whenever you attack people who are made in the image of God, it's almost like you're attacking the one who made them. So therefore we should be careful how we treat and how we talk about and how we talk to The people, because every single person who was ever made was made in God's image. In fact, Clement of Rome, back in the first century AD, he said this, one of the early church fathers, he said, you should do good to and pay honor and reverence to man who is made in the image of God, minister food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothing to the naked, hospitality to the stranger, and necessary things to the prisoner, and that is what will be regarded as truly bestowed upon God acknowledging the image of God and humanity is what has caused Christians down throughout the centuries to to fight for the dignity of the image of God. Yes, it's been polluted and attacked, but yes, this is what caused Christians to fight against slavery. This is what caused Dr. King to fight for civil rights. This is why we need to stand up in a world like today. We need to proudly say that black life matters not just with our words, but with our lives and with our actions, because it's human image. It's God's image in humanity. It's human dignity. It's the reason why we fight against abortion. It's the reason why we hate murder. It's the reason why we care for the poor and the disenfranchised. It's the reason why our hearts break at injustice, why we stand up for the widow and the orphan, and we clothe the naked, and we feed the hungry, and we visit the ones who are in prison. It's why we care for for the immigrant. It's the reason early Christians would rescue babies left out to die by the Romans and adopt them into their own families. It's the reason why Christians today still foster and still adopt because we care about the image it's the reason every, the Imago Day is the reason why every single person that you've ever seen is worthy of, of, of value and dignity and respect. It's the reason why we pursue people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are made in the image of God and God has a heart and God loves his creation. It's the image of God. The Imago Day and humanity changes everything. Changes everything. And in Genesis 1.27, God says that he made humanity in his own image. And listen, the next verse in Genesis 128, he says, why? He says, why he made humanity in his own image. Here it is, Genesis 128. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign. Listen, somebody, rain, rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Listen to me when I say this. It was always God's plan to rule the earth through his image bearers. Genesis 127, God says that we are made in his image. Genesis 128, he says, why? He has created us in his image so we can take his image, be fruitful, multiply it, fill the earth, cover the earth like the waters cover the seas with the glory of God. God thought to himself, yes, I could do it myself. Why do you, why do you think God made us? God's not lonely. God has no need. God has no lack. He's not sitting up and having me like, oh gosh, I'm really lonely up in here. It's just me, the sun and the spirit and all the angels. Like I want want people who are gonna really screw this thing up. (laughs) No, we're made in his image. Then we're told why. God could have done this whole thing himself, but he thought, I want to partner with someone. I want to partner with a people who are going to choose me above all else, who can walk with me in the garden, who can share my holiness and my blamelessness, my purity, who we can lock arms. And then I can accomplish everything that I've ever wanted to do in this world through them as I put my image on them. And then they shine my glory throughout the world that my glory will cover the earth like the water covers the seas because they'll be made in my my image and my image. In fact, that word image, the word image in, in Hebrew is the word selim. In, in Greek, it's icon. That's that word icon. That's where we get the word icon from. It's the image. In Hebrew, it's selim. And this word selim, uh, all throughout the, the, the language of the Old Testament is Hebrew. So all throughout the Old Testament, that word selim, that word image, shows up in, in really odd places. And it actually finds itself in one of the most uh, uh, favorite children's Bible stories, right? Here it is in uh, Daniel 3.1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. He made a selim of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And so what happens is this Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes a Selim, he makes an image of himself, 60, which is 90 feet high and like 10 feet wide, right? And so like he makes this giant uh, image out of gold and he commands everybody to bow down and worship it or else they're gonna get thrown in the fiery furnace. That's where Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego come in. Why? Because they won't worship the image of a man. They won't worship the image. They won't worship the selim because here's what would happen. Now, listen to me very carefully. Here's what would happen in those days. A king would make a selim of himself, many times small, and he would disperse it throughout his land. There would be multiple selims all over the place. Why? Because as the people were walking throughout the earth, they would see the selim and be reminded of the king. And they would see the Selim, and they would know that's not the king, but it reminds me who sits on the throne because it's not him. It's not exactly him, but it's like him. And as I walk by, as I see the Selim, it reminds me, it points me to something greater because there's some attributes there. Everyone is a little bit different, but it all reminds me of who the actual king is. In fact, in the Middle Eastern culture at that time, in in the Egyptian days, they would say that that a king ruled in the image of a particular false god, right? In fact, King Tut, everybody remembers King Tut, right? Y'all remember King Tut? King Tut, his full name is Tutankhamun, which actually means the one who rules in the image of Amun. Tutankhamun, Amun. And so the idea was this. If you wanted to know what the false god Amun looked like, you would look at his image in Tutankhamun. And one of the most unfathomable mysteries of all life is that is what God did when he made you and he made me. He created a selim of himself, an image of himself, and he placed that image... In different places in this world to represent himself so that others walk by, they would see the image of God and they would know that's not God, but it's like kind of like it. And so they would remember who's sitting on the throne as that selim shines is that the more that that selim looks like the king, the more people think of the king whenever they see the selim. Now, don't get it twisted. You're not God and you'll never be God. You can never gradually become God. I see people all the day, oh, you're a God. No, you, This world would be in trouble if you're a God. Here's the crazy stuff, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure, everybody say treasure, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You're just a jar of clay. You're just a jar of clay. This, the image of God isn't the outside. You are weak and you are fragile and you are frail and in and of yourself, you have nothing, are nothing and can do nothing. But with the glorious treasure of the image of God that he has placed within you, the permanent things, the eternal things that God has planted eternity in the heart of every human. You are made in his image. We are the Selem Elohim, we are the image of God. We are made in his image. We are image bearers. And here's how I'd say it. We were made to shine God's image so that others would see us and remember who the king is. We are made to shine God's image so that others would see the Selem of God in us and remember who the king is. You're not the king and you'll never be the king, but you point to the king. That's the glorious thing that we get to share. But here's the deal. Satan knew God's plan. Satan knew God's plan. Satan knew that God's plan was to put his image inside humanity and through humanity to shine and to rule in the world. And so he knew this. He's not an idiot. He's in very intelligent. Satan knew I could never harm God. So I'll go after the next best thing. I'll go after his image. So he rolls into the garden in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, the ones who have been made and the pure and the spotless, the unpolluted, undiluted image of God, they sin. They sin. And now this glorious God image, it's tainted and it's polluted. And then their kids, the first ever born Cain murders the second ever born Abel. And things just begin spiraling out because sin leads to ever increasing wickedness and we find new ways of sinning every single day and humanity can't any longer shine the beauty of the image of God the image listen the image is still there it's just covered up and polluted and in fact it's it's like as people look at the image bearers they don't see God anymore all they see is us the selim is covered. The selim is, is, is changed. The selim oh, it's deep. It's still there. It's deep down inside. It's still there. But God had a plan. Everybody say, thank you, God, you had a plan. Thank you, God, you had a plan. And Jesus comes. And Jesus comes. And while, while humans are made like God, Jesus comes as the exact image of God. Get this, get this, get this. Colossians 1 Christ is the visible image. This is in Greek. Christ is the visible icon of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. The invisible God becomes visible in Jesus. Jesus is God made flesh, the incarnation, 100% God, 100% man. He is the incarnate. God put on skin and came down. And when we see Jesus, we've seen the Father. And Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, lives the perfect life, then goes to the cross, he dies. Three days later, stone rolls away, breath of life enters back into him, resurrected, ascends into heaven. And the question is, why? Why did Jesus do that? Why? I know we're gonna go straight to John 3, 16, right? Why? Your answer, listen to me very carefully. Your answer to the question, why did Jesus come and do everything that Jesus did? Your answer to that question will radically alter how you live on this earth. Why did Jesus come? Here's what most Christians will say. Jesus came to forgive my sins so I could go to heaven. And in that belief and in that statement, there is eternal life, but there's not today life. If your faith is for forever, then you're waiting until forever starts to actually start living. Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to forgive my sins so I could go to heaven one day when I die. And I'll pay God back by going to church and trying to be a good person. Right? Because if Jesus just came so I could go to heaven one day, I don't wanna like show up and be embarrassed. (laughs) I mean, I'll try and not not smoke too much weed. I mean, (laughs) try and not murder too many people, right? If that's really all he... And what happens is most Christians, our thinking is too small. Our theology is too small. We've forgotten what this whole story is really all about. In fact, a, a theologian, Andy Johnson, he says this, I love this this kind of paragraph here. He says, some people read the Bible as though all the important stuff runs from Genesis three where humans fall into sin to Revelation 20, which is John's vision of the last judgment where humans are judged. And they tend to reduce the biblical story to God's attempt to deal with individuals guilt so that when they die and face their own individual last judgment, they can go to heaven. But this ignores the way the Bible actually begins and ends. The Bible begins with God taking great care to create the physical world as his cosmic sanctuary or temple to become what we might call a theater of his glory. This is a world he calls good over and over at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. And the Bible ends with Revelation twenty one twenty two with God making all things new. It ends with God's good creation made new with creation reaching its intended destiny and flourishing with abundant life. And here's what he's Trying to say there is that too many Christians ignore the bookends of the Bible. And therefore, our theology is too small. We cut out the first two chapters and the last two chapters. That's like walking into the middle of a movie and trying to figure it out. But we've been given the whole movie, but we ignore the context. The context of God's story is God's glory. The context of God's story isn't trying to make you not guilty. Jesus didn't come to to try and get you to go to church. Jesus didn't come to try and make you to be a good person. We've lost original intent that this whole story is about the glory of God. And yes, there is coming a day, Revelation 21, 22, when God will make it all new and fill the world with his glory by himself. But until Revelation 21, God has chosen to do it through his people, through us. And too many people don't understand. Too many Christians don't understand what Jesus came to do. Our theology is too small. Listen to me when I say this. Jesus did not come to get you to go to church. Jesus did not come just so that one day you can go to heaven. Even praise God, I am saved from the fire of hell. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Jesus didn't come to get you into heaven. He came to get heaven into you. Listen, Jesus came so we could bear God's image again. Jesus came so we could shine Represent the Father with the Imago day. Jesus came to connect us back to the Father in holiness, blamelessness, purity, clean conscience, so we can once again partner with God and be filled with His greatness, and the gifts and the talents and the abilities can be liberated to shine out His glory into this world. Romans 8:29. Paul writes, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That that word in the the Greek is actually morphe, metamorphosis, that that, that God God has called us, God has planned for us to undergo a metamorphosis, to be changed, what? Into the icon of his son, the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Listen, and those he predestined us, He also called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. Come on, somebody, that's talking about you. That's not talking about me, that's not talking about that person. That's talking about you. Those God who foreknew he predestined to undergo a metamorphosis, away from your stankiness, to look more like Jesus, and he called you, And he justified you just as if you had never sinned. And once he had actually justified you in his presence, you're undergoing a metamorphosis of glorification to look like Jesus Christ. That's what this thing is about. 2 Corinthians 3, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How many of you love freedom? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, man. (laughs) We go after Jesus, we receive freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, the, the sin veil, the, the, the death veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of God and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed. Again, the word morphate, as we are changed into his glorious image, So we're changed into his icon. Jesus did not just come, listen, Jesus came to forgive our sins, but he didn't just come to forgive our sins. Jesus came so that once again, we could be an image bearer. We could be an image bearer, defeating sin, making us more like himself. Jesus came, listen to me, Jesus came so that once more the world could look at us and remember the king. So that we could be the Selem of God. Jesus came so that the wonderful gifts and the dreams and the callings and the uniqueness and the personality and the fire and the passion and the dream, that it all could be liberated once again, so that we could shine the glory of God, so that this world could actually see the Father. Listen to me when I say this Jesus came to emancipate God's greatness in us. Jesus came to emancipate God's greatness in us. And some of you right now, you're saying, I don't have greatness in me. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because God said, I made you in my image. And so God has put his greatness in you. If you're saying, I don't have greatness in me, then you're calling God a liar. And you are as unique as the thumbprint on your hand. You are unique by God. Listen, it's not our greatness. It is His greatness. And yes, God's image in us has been polluted. It's been tainted. It's been covered up by sins. It's been abused. Some of you suffered abuse and you never moved past that moment. Some of you, mom and dad said this. Dad never said that. Mom said too much of this. Kids did this. Ex-husband, ex-wife, baby daddy, they all did that. And what's happened is we've throttled back. We believe the words of other people. We believe the lies of the enemy. We we believe that we're just like everybody else. We believe that one day, I guess it'll get better when I go to heaven. Listen, it is, it is tainted. It is corrupted by sin, but it's still there. It's still there. It's still there. And Jesus came to emancipate God's greatness in us. That word emancipation, emancipation means to free from restraint, control, or the power of another, especially to free from bondage. And this is the journey. Listen to me. This is the journey that we're beginning today. The emancipation of God's greatness in God's people. God put himself in you. God put his image in you. God gave you that personality that you have. And yes, it's been corrupted. Yes, it's been tainted, but it's there for a reason. And he wants to purify it. He wants to liberate it. God put those gifts inside you to make you, you. God put those callings on the inside of you. That thing that you're like, well, when I was a little kid, I thought, or I've always wanted to, but God put that on the inside of you. And God wants to set it free from the control of another. Listen, some of you, uh, a spouse said this or a boss did that or the enemy has shamed you into thinking, I could never do this in my future because I already did this in my past. And God wants to liberate his image that he put on the inside of you. Um, Listen, emancipating greatness is about getting what God put in you out of you. It's about getting what God put in you out of you. And too many Christians have lived way too low for way too long. And we have settled for the American dream. And where our dream is one day I'll get the boat. One day I'll get that promotion. And we're living for the things that everybody else lives for. And we've, listen, we've settled for new year's resolutions to to lose weight instead of a God vision to change the world. And we've lived low, we've lived depressed, we've lived throttled back, we've lived compromised, we've lived in sin, we've we've compromised in our relationships, we've compromised in our lives, we believe the lies of everybody else and the voice that speaks to us while we're going to sleep at night. And God wants to liberate that once again to free us to be and to do everything that he's called us to be. Philip Brooks says, dreadful will be the day when the world becomes contented, when one great universal satisfaction spreads itself over the world. Sad will be the day for every man when he becomes absolutely contented with the life that he is living, with the thoughts that he is thinking, with the deeds that he is doing, when there is not forever beating at the doors of his soul some great desire to do something larger, which he knows that he was meant and made to do because he is a child of God. You were made in God's image for a reason, for a reason. He put his uniqueness in you, the gifts, the callings, the dreams, the abilities, the passion inside of you for a reason. And that is to fill the earth with the glory of God through the unique, wonderful, marvelous, unduplicated image that he put on the inside of you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has work for you to do. Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You have received a calling. And so what I believe that God is calling us to do today is to shake off complacency. To begin to dream again. To begin to risk again. I love that C.S. Lewis says, you're never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. (laughs) you're not some of you are like oh i'm 75 i'm just coasting no man you're never too old set another goal or dream another dream it's never you're never too old to see the greatness that god put inside you be emancipated for his glory (laughs) we come from a long line of men and women who have risked it all to be and to do everything that god called them to be and what it's gonna look like in this next season. I, I can't even imagine. Listen, I can't even imagine. Some of you this time next year are gonna be working new jobs. Some of you this time next year, you're gonna be in new careers. You're not even gonna have a new job, you have a new career. Some of you this, this time next year, you're gonna have written that book. Some of you next, this time next year, you're actually gonna publish the book that you wrote 15 years ago, but you're too afraid to do it. Some of you are actually going to start developing the gifts, the abilities. You're going to start taking some art classes. You're actually going to start taking some dance lessons. You're actually going to pick up that guitar again and start singing to the Lord without the guilt and the shame that you have, which keeps you from doing it even right now. Some of you are going to start seeing healing come to your family. Some of you are going to start seeing healing come to yourself. You're actually gonna open your mouth and speak the good news to the world around you because you no longer have the fear of man, you have the fear of God. And so you're gonna see healing come to your coworkers. You're gonna see salvation come to your neighborhood. You're gonna see this gift and this calling awakened on the inside of you that you always dreamed was possible, but it got buried along the way. And so the question is this, do you believe that a great God made you for great things? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let me ask you this last question. What do you see? (laughs) It's not a trick question. Actually, it kind of is. It's an apple, right? Duh. I don't see an apple. I see an orchard. Every apple has the potential of a forest inside of it. And most apples never actually realize that potential because a myriad of reasons. Listen to me. Even naturally speaking, there is greatness locked up in this apple. Do you see it? Can you you look past the shell for a second? Can you look past the flaws and see that God has imparted something on the inside here that if it could just get out, it could be big, it could be marvelous, it could be beautiful. Because God put something on the inside of here. Now, the question is this. What does the, the, the greatness look like? How do we get it out? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to get to all that. We're going to get to all that. That's why there's more than one week, okay? But the question for, for today is this, that you're going to have to answer. Do I believe that a great God made me for great things? And if you do, let's put this up here. Let's say it together. I believe a great God made me for great things. Come on. I believe a great God made me for great things. Come on, louder. Come on, Hamilton Mill Midtown! I believe a great God made me for great. Come on, sitting in, in your house with your pajamas on, put your cup of coffee down. I believe a great God made me for great things. Because God put his greatness in you. And it's time to get it out. And that's the journey we're about to embark on. So listen, listen, listen. Before we close, before we close, I wanna acknowledge a couple in this church who I believe that God has put greatness in. And this is a couple who's been faithfully serving uh, here inside the life of the church. And God, in this next season, is calling them into a, to what we would even say a greater position here inside the life of the church. And so today, to everyone, I want to announce and introduce the new associate uh, campus pastors here at Norcross, our very own pastors Darius and Melba Dunson. Come on up. All right, so many of you, especially here at Norcross, you already know the Dunsons. You already know Darius uh, and Melba. Um, They've been involved in member care and pastoral care and membership and all those sorts of things. But in this next season, they're stepping into this new role here, which we're creating the Associate Campus Pastors of Norcross. So they're actually leading the 55 Norcross staff um, they're, they're furthering the health and the, the well being of this, this campus. They're going to be preaching from the platform. You've already seen that, uh, helping you to see the greatness that God put in you get emancipated. That's what's going to be happening. And the reason why I brought them up here today is uh, twofold. Okay. Is uh, a number of years ago, I remember we were sitting on a boat. And we, you know, obviously we had talked before, but we we're sitting on a boat and um, just, just started talking and Darius began sharing the dreams and what he felt like was the calling that God had put inside, um, not just you but your family. I mean, your family, you got kids too. And um, right then God started to speak to me about him and about them and started watching your faithfulness, started watching the excellence that you did ministry and the gifts and the greatness that God had put on the inside of you and how you allowed that not just to stay hidden but actually start getting out. And so what I wanna do in front of everybody here and everybody online and everybody at the campus is I wanna affirm the gifts and the callings that God has put inside their life. Darius and Melba, I believe that a great God made you for great things. He has put his greatness on the inside of you. It's not yours, it's his, but he put it. He trusted you with it and you've been faithful with it. And if you can be faithful with little, you'll be given more. And I am excited to watch what happens as the gifts and the callings of God inside you begin to get out of you in this next season and how it's gonna change not just a church, but a city and beyond for the glory of God. And I don't believe that that's just true for them. I believe that's true for every single person under the sound of my voice. And the reason why they're up here even right now, I believe that God said this. I believe that these two and their family, this is the word God said to me, they're they're forerunners. They're forerunners. They're some of the ones in the front of the pack. And some of you are watching this right now and you're saying like, if I had only made this decision when I was younger, if I had only not had that one night stand if I had only not done this, or said that, or believed that, I'm too old. Listen, it's never too old, never too old. Have a new dream, step into your calling. I believe there are forerunners of countless others. And what is burning on the inside of me right now, and what I get so excited about, listen, is when I think about tens of thousands of people made in God's image, rescued, redeemed by the Son to be conformed back into the image of Father walking with God like we were created to in Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall, partnering with God, arms in arms with the Holy Spirit, walking with God in purity, shining the greatness and the image that he put on the inside of us to a dark world so that others would see, listen, the tens of thousands of selims of God and remember who the king is. That we would shine so that others would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I can't wait to see what God does in this next season. I can't wait to see it. So let's do this. Let's pray over these two right here. God, I thank you for the gifts and the callings of God. I thank you Father, for the unique image that you have placed inside Darius, I thank you for the unique image that you've placed inside Melba. God, I thank you for their faithfulness in this past season. God, that you can trust them with more. And I look forward to seeing this greatness continue to be emancipated in and through their lives for the glory of God and for their good. God, I thank you for the blessing that they're stepping into and what they've been in the past year. God, I pray that you would amplify it and magnify it in this next season. God, we bless them in the name of Jesus as you place them into this new position here inside the life of the church. God, I pray that there would be an explosion of your life in and through them to be a blessing to this body and beyond. And we bless them, we set them, and we thank God for them right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Let's give it up one more time. Hey, guys, across across all of our campuses here, let's bow our heads one more time. (sighs) Father, I believe this in the deepest part of my heart and the deepest part of my soul, God, that I am made in the image of God. God, I believe that every single person under the sound of my voice is made in the image of God, that we are the Selim Elohim, that we are made in the image, your beauty, your glory, your grace your gifts, your callings have been carefully and beautifully and wonderfully placed on the inside of us. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the dream of God. We see the dream of God to create humanity in his own image and to partner with us. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man because we have an enemy who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But God, thank God that Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. And God, there's the reality that some of us in here as Christians, that we have life, but we don't have life to the fullest because we're living for heaven one day instead of realizing that eternal life has already begun today. And so God, we, we wanna grab a hold of life more abundantly in Christ. But there's also the reality that inside the space and online, across our campuses, wherever you find yourself today, there's some of us who are still dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. And listen, the image is still there. You're made in the image of God, but you're not a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And today what God is doing by his grace, listen, it's his grace and his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his grace that's calling you. It's his grace that allowed you to even hear these words today. It's his kindness that's calling you today. And what the call looks like is this, is to put your faith, what that means is your active, daily, moment by moment trust in Jesus. That I cannot save myself. I can do no good thing in and of myself that really remains. And I am dead on the inside. But when Jesus comes, because he paid the price for our sin, we get new life. And we are, it's like we're born again. And today, if you say, hey, as we start this new year, as I'm hearing all this, this is good news. That a God could actually not just overlook my past, but wash it away as it's nailed to the cross. If that's true, I want to say yes to it. So what we're gonna do here is we start a new year here in Norcross across the all the campuses online. If you say today, I choose Jesus. I want you to put up both hands. Say, I choose Jesus, I need Jesus today. I can't save myself, I can't do it myself. I choose Jesus today. What we're gonna do, we're gonna pray. All right. Pray this from the deepest place of your heart. Say this: say, Jesus, you are the Son of God, you are the image of God. <laughs> You died for my sin in my place so I could live, so I could be reconnected to the Father. So today, I repent, I turn from my sin and my path that leads to death. And I turn to you and I give you my heart. I give you my everything. I give you my past and my present and my future. Jesus, bring me into the family of God. Cause me to come alive and I'll live for you the rest of my days. You are my Lord and you are my savior in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Come on. Let's worship the Lord.